0: 1 Kings chapter 19, I want to begin reading in verse number 9, but leave your Bible open. We'll look back just a little bit, and uh, that way we remember exactly where we're at. But let's pick up in verse number 9, 1 Kings 19, verse 9. If you're there, say amen. 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 I'm there now. All right. And he came thither into a cave and lodged there. Talking about Elijah. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth, Stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazel. I practiced that ten times. I should have practiced it twelve. To be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Uh, (laughs) I don't know why I'm having problems with that. Hazel, (laughs) Mr. H there, shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Now, I want to... Uh, show from this text tonight that I believe what we have going on here is simply two different wills. What I mean by that is I mean Elijah's will and God's will colliding. They have just finally come to a collision point and that's exactly what we have going on. Elijah had his plan and it hasn't worked out. God has His plan, and His plan always works out, and it always wins. But sometimes our plans and God's plans, they just—they tend to clash just a little bit. And that's usually when we find ourselves in these cave situations, in these upset, depressed, uh, maybe a little bitter, uh, just done with it all kind of feelings. It usually comes from the fact that, our, well, well, I'll just put it like this, we didn't get our way. We wanted something to happen, and it didn't happen, and we didn't get our way. And so now we, and now we want to take our toys, and we're going home. And that's just kind of how we are. We, we, we live like that sometimes. We, we, we do it in adult ways, and we make fun of our kids for doing it or get on to them for doing it or, and look down on them for it. But we do the same thing. We just have more... Uh, adultish way of doing the exact same thing. And so I want to show you here from this text some things we can learn about this. You have Elijah and his will and God and his will and they finally just, they, they, were, they were trucking along together for a while and as long as they were, Elijah was fine. But as soon as Elijah figured out, hey, what I want to happen is not going to happen. God's will is going is is to prevail and, and I'm going to have to take a back seat. Well, Elijah struggles with that just a little bit. By the way, we all do and anybody would. So, I just want to title the message tonight, When Wheels Collide. When Wheels Collide. Because that's exactly what we're having uh, in this text and what we've read about. Two wheels have just collided together. And it's like a Mack truck and a bicycle. You know what I'm saying? Elijah's the bicycle, all right? And he's pretty wounded, he's pretty hurt. Uh, and uh, but we can learn some things from this, and I, I hope that we do. Let's pray together, Father. We love you. We're thankful for your word, Lord. We're thankful for how relevant it is, and Lord, how how personal it is. Uh, And Lord, things that happened thousands of years ago, Lord, they they, they speak to our heart today. And of course, this book is alive. It's inspired. It speaks to us today. And Father, I pray that you would speak to hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd help me communicate truth very clearly and plainly and powerfully, effectively. And Lord, I pray that you would would do the preaching tonight, Lord. It it would be much better, Lord, if you just uh, help me get out of the way and you, you preach the message to every single heart. May the Spirit of God do the work and get all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Pray. Amen and amen. Well, when we pick up our reading in verse number 9, you remember Elijah? He, he, he is uh, uh, he's relocating, if you will. He he, he has been to uh, Beersheba. That's as far down as you can go. Uh, it, things didn't turn out like he thought they would. Uh, the fire fell. The rain returned. He thought revival was going to break out, and it didn't. Uh, Jezebel still just as wicked as she always has been. Ahab is still just of a, a sissy as he always has been. Nothing's changing in. Uh, in the leadership in Israel. That's not the way he planned it. That's not the way he envisioned it, but that's the way it is. And so he's going to Beersheba. If you look at the map, Mount Carmel, where the fire fell and all that, it's at the top of Israel. Beersheba's at the bottom. And then he went another day's journey into the wilderness. He left his servant. Why did he leave his servant? Because he was done serving. It's like he fired his employee, all right? Because he's done. It's like a, a pastor fired his staff. He's done. He's not, he's done with it all. And so everybody's fired. Everybody's gone. Everybody's Let's let's pack up. Let's go home. Let's do something else. And so that's what uh, that's what he is doing. He's absolutely done. He is crushed by the weight of a huge disappointment. He is defeated. He is downtrodden. It seems that he might even be depressed in a state of depression. And this disappointment has absolutely messed him up real big. And we find that he's a he's a brave man. In chapter number eighteen, calling the fire down from heaven. Even chapter seventeen, putting his finger in the face of Ahab, and uh, and then uh, living off living by faith. And then he comes back, confronts Ahab again, confronts the prophets of Baal, calls the fire down from heaven, kills the prophets of Baal. I'm talking about he is a brave man, but now the brave man is cave man. All right, he is in a cave and he's hiding in. Uh, in the cave. And uh, that's where he is in verse number 9. He comes to Horeb, the end of verse number 8 tells us, the mount of God. Now I'm not sure, and I'll let you figure this out, you theologians can figure this out, I'm not sure if Horeb is where Elijah decided to go to or if it's where God led him to. I'm not sure. I don't see God leading him there in the text. I just find It just says that he went there, although God gives him the strength. He gives him that meal, right, to go where he needs to go, and it implies that there's a journey that he needs to take. So I'm not sure on all that. I'll let you uh, figure that out. But nonetheless, he is in Horeb, and that's very interesting. In fact, it says, Horeb, the mount of God. I want you to just tuck that away because we're going to need that information here in just a minute. That's where he's at. And he finds a cave. Remember that too. And he lodges in a cave. He's in a cave in Horeb, is where he is at. That's important. Here in just a little bit, we're going to make a connection. Uh, But that is exactly where he's at. He enters into a cave, he sets up camp. And God comes to him, and what makes me kind of question a little bit, is this where he needs to be? I don't know. But God comes to him and asks this question. Pretty much God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Now, there's a couple ways that we know not to take that question, all right? Uh, first of all, it's not God surprised by Elijah being there, Right? God doesn't come to Elijah and say, What are you doing here? You know, God knows where Elijah's at, okay? So it's not a question of surprise. It's also never, when God asks a question, it's never for information, right? So it's not a question of, God, of ignorance. God, it's not that God doesn't know, like Elijah, what's going on in your life? You know, what, what, what's going on right now? God knows everything. And when God asks a question, how many of you know it's not because he needs the answer, but God asks a question because why? Because we need the answer. He wants us to say it out loud. Say it out loud, and so we know what's going on. And Elijah gives an answer. In fact, the question is asked twice. We read it twice, and then the answer is given twice, pretty much the same exact answer. And and God asks the question, and and Elijah answers the question. I think that's in verse uh, number uh, 10, and then again in verse number 14. Elijah answers this question. Now, I want to say something about this answer here. Many times the answers that we give... Somebody asks us something, and the answers that we give, uh, there's really two different answers. They're they're the answers that we say out loud, and then they're the answers that are really what's in our heart, really what's honest, and really what we're thinking. Some of us are good enough Baptists uh, and good enough church. We've got enough churchianity about us. We know not to give the real answer, all right? Uh, I think about Asaph when he was struggling. It's the 73rd Psalm, I believe it is. He was really struggling with he watched the wicked, they were prospering, and he's over here serving God, and it looks like everything's falling apart, nothing's going right. Looks like all the wicked people, they're having all the fun, and all the uh, all the you know, all the church people, there it's just a drag, right? And he's looking at it and he don't understand. And he said, at one point in that psalm, it always gets me in that psalm where he says something to this effect. He says, if I were to speak. Thus, or if I were to say it out loud, he said, I would offend the, the, the children. I would offend the young ones. It says something like that. Go look it up, 73rd Psalm. He said, if, if somebody were to ask, Asaph, what's wrong? Well, he'd have an answer that he would give. Well, you know, I'm just tired or, or you know, maybe, I, I don't know, just been going through a lot lately or something like that. But on the inside, he had a totally different answer that he knew if he said out loud, it'd make people upset and it'd make people mad. His, his answer was, I'm mad at God. That's what his answer is. His answer is, I'm thinking about quitting. That was his answer. I'm about to, I'm about to resign my position as, as music leader here in the temple, and I'm going to go join the wicked crowd, and I'm gonna, because it looks like they're having more fun. It looks like nothing goes wrong in their life. And, but, so he had two different answers. He had the answer that he could say out loud, and he had the answer that was really going on in his heart. Elijah, I think he gives the answer that he could say out loud. He talks about the answer that, 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 that really he can... He, 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 it, it's really more rationale for... Why he's there. Elijah, in his mind, he's got reason to be in that cave. He's got reason to be on the run. He's got reason to be mad. He's got reason to be defeated. He's got a reason to be depressed. And Elijah is thinking, you know what? Here's what's been going on. He points out the fact of his passion. He says, man, I, 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 I've been jealous for the Lord God. You see that in verse number 10? I have been very jealous. That word jealous It's extreme passion for something. It's when you really, really, really want something to happen. It's akin to the word zealous. Jealous and zealous are almost identical words almost identical definitions he had an extreme desire to want to see israel worship the true and the living god that's what elijah wanted to see more than anything in the whole wide world and he wanted and he talked about his passion and uh, he talked about what he really 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 wanted and then he talked about his pain right he said and in verse number 10, he said, For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down that altars, slain the prophets with the sword. And he said, man, look what happened. Everything that I want to happen, that's not happening. It seems like nothing's getting better. Things are getting worse. And he talks about his pain. Look what they did to me. I laid it all down the line. I gave it everything I have. I only wanted this one thing, and it's a good thing, and I thought it's a God thing, and I thought it was what needed to happen and all that. And look what people did to me. That's what he's talking about. He's pointing at the at the Israelites, isn't he? The children of Israel. I've been very jealous. I've been very passionate. I wanted this to happen. And look at what everybody. Look at everybody else. And he starts pointing fingers. Look at everybody else. And then he talks about his problem. He said, "And I'm the only one left." He said, "Man, they, 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 they've they've killed all the prophets." And he said, "I'm the only one left." And they're trying to they're trying to take me out. They're trying to take me out. If if, if I don't preserve myself. There's going to be no more Jehovah prophets left if I don't preserve myself. And what he's done is he has given a rationale. He's given an excuse for where he's at. Every backslid Christian has one. Every backslid. There's not a backslid Christian anywhere that don't have a good rationale while they are that way. And they'll tell you well, I, I was so involved in church, and I laid it out on the line, and I did it all. And those people, that preacher, that crowd, that whatever, and they got their story. They have it all out there. And they got their, they got their excuse. They have a reason or someone to blame why they are justified. My bitterness is justified. My apathy is justified. My, my backsliddenness is justified. And the truth is, is that everything that he's saying is really just his out loud answer. It's really not really at the root of his bitterness. So at the root of Elijah's bitterness was a disappointment really in God. For, not, for things not turning out the way that he wanted them to. It just didn't happen. That's what it was literally that's what happened. In fact, I think the and I love studying somebody's life from beginning to end or a book of the Bible from beginning to end because really you see it you see it better and more in context than when you just point you pick out like little pieces. When you start at the beginning and work your way through it, you really start seeing the big picture. And what I found out in Elijah's life the big picture is this is that Elijah had a plan from the very beginning. Elijah had a plan. I think James 5, to me, sheds the light on the subject. We know the drought took place because Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed. I believe Elijah got a burden about his... About it. And he says right here he was jealous over the way Israel was. He got a burden over the wicked condition of Israel and he prayed and he claimed the promises of God about drought and no rain. He said, God, you said if we were wicked enough, you would stop the rain and so we would turn and get right. And Elijah prayed that it would not rain. That's what James said, James 5. And guess what? God shut the heavens off. He did what he said. Elijah's plan was from the beginning was we're going to pray that God would turn the rain off We're going to prove to Israel that there is one God in Israel, and then we're going to pray, and God's going to turn the rain back on, and when He does, revival's going to break out. Ahab and Jezebel are going to get right. The entire nation's going to turn to God. We're going to put away Baal worship and idolatry for good, and we are going to worship the true and living God, and Israel is going to be returned to its former glory of days of worshiping God, and we are going to be the nation that God deserves. That's what Elijah wanted more than anything. By the way, sounds like a pretty awesome plan, don't it? I mean, it's better than a lot of people's plans. Some people's plans are just carnal, right? I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to retire and just take it easy, you know? It's like the man said, man, I've had a good crop, you know? I'm just going to build bigger barns and take it easy the rest of my life. Well, we can look at that plan and we can say, man, that's not a good plan. That's not a good plan at all. You know, that leaves God out of What's he doing for God. He's not. But then we look at Elijah's plan and we say, what's wrong with that plan? That seems like a good plan. That's a good spiritual plan. But I'm going to tell you something. God sometimes doesn't do everything the way we want Him to do even when we have spiritual plans. You know, there's a lot of preachers I know that are bitter right now. They didn't start out wanting to to be some of the most famous, they just wanted to have a good ministry, and people attacked them, and people stabbed them in the back, and their church split, and things that happened the way they wanted it to. They didn't have big, huge carnal plans; they had spiritual plans. I know some good families that all they wanted to do was go to church, and they wanted to raise their kids for God and serve God with their kids. But guess what? Their church went goofy, and and their kids went crazy, and, and now everything, and everything just kind of fell apart. They weren't bad plans; they were good plans. But it don't matter if they're bad plans or good plans. It don't matter if they seem spiritual to you or they're carnal. It doesn't matter. If they're your plans, they're still your plans. And if you're leaning to your own understanding, you're still leaning to your own understanding. No matter what your plans are. Does everybody follow me? Elijah had great plans. In fact, I think they're awesome plans. I think they're great. The thing is, I'm not God. And Elijah ain't either. And I'm going to tell you something. That was it. That was his plan from the beginning. And it all fell apart at the end. And Elijah was doing good. He could hang. He could go as long as everything was going according to his plan. And then it all fell apart. And then Elijah fell apart. I'm going to tell you something. It wasn't God that disappointed Elijah. It was Elijah's plan that disappointed Elijah. For God to let you down, He's got to to promise you something that... He said, God didn't break any promises to Elijah. It was Elijah's own plans. I'm going to tell you the same way. Look up here. God's never disappointed you. We get disappointed in God. God has never promised you anything that he did not fulfill or will not fulfill. We get disappointed when we start claiming promises that God never, God never made to us. Everybody okay? We start projecting on God things that he never said would happen. And the end of our text, we find out. Look, God's got other plans. Verse number fifteen: The Lord said unto him, "Go, return thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint that dude to be king over cereal. C- cereal. Syria. <laughs> Man, I'm hungry. Thinking about Fruit Loops up here, y'all. <laughs> Syria. I'm having trouble with names tonight. Hey, Haziel. Cereal. Frosted Flakes. God's got other plans. And then he said, When you get done with that, I want you to go anoint Jehu to be king over Israel. And when you get done with that, I got a prophet I want you to anoint. God's got other things going on. Elijah wasn't thinking about Mr. Haziel. Elijah wasn't thinking about Jehu. Elijah didn't even know what an Elisha was. He wasn't thinking about all that stuff. But God was way back when. God had other plans. You got two plans colliding, coming together. And that's exactly what's going on. We find ourselves here so many times, things don't turn out the way that we desperately want them to. We get upset with God. And we blame it on the ministry, and it's not the ministry. Listen, we say, the ministry hurt us. No, it's not your ministry. It's your maturity that's hurt you. It's not your ministry. It's your maturity. The ministry didn't hurt you, your maturity. You're just not mature enough to be able to hear the word. No. It's like we get with our kids. Because I'm going to tell you what ministry is. That's what ministry is. Ministry is people not doing what you want them to do. I've pastored for almost 15 years. That's not long, but it's long enough to know. That's what ministry is. See a lot of a lot of young people, a lot of young preachers get in the ministry thinking that people are just gonna do whatever they say. Ha <laughs> ha. A lot of times, people, young preachers, get the ministry thing, and they're going to get in the ministry, and then they're going to preach a message, and then just everything's just everybody's just going to jump in the altar and jump right in line. And they got these five. I remember when I first, I had a five-year plan, and it included building projects and setting out chairs and Billy Graham crusades and all this stuff. But then I found out I couldn't even get people to come to a revival meeting. Come on, I can't even get to come on on Monday night to hear like one of the greatest preachers in all the world. Not me, I wasn't preaching. It, it was somebody else I brought in. And you find out that's not what ministry is about. not about getting people to do what you want them to do. Right right. Ministry is about serving him. And I'm going to tell you what, if you think ministry, if you think church, if you think life is about getting everything to happen the way you want it to happen, you're going to live in a constant state of disappointment. If it's not about God, and it's not about serving Him, if it's not about loving Him, if it's not about obeying Him, and obeying His plan and His will, and if ministry is not that, then you got a wrong view of ministry. And it's not ministry that's hurting you, it's maturity that's hurting you. You just hadn't grown up enough to realize that it's not all about you. Ministry's not all about me. You see, I'm still learning that. I had to learn that. I'm still learning that. It's not about me. It's not about me. Chris, it ain't about what you want. It's not about your plans. It's not about your dreams. It's not about your goals. It's not about that. It's about Him. It's all about Christ. I'm His slave. I'm His servant. I'm to do what He says. I'm to do what He wills. I'm to go where He sends and then leave the results up to God. And that's easy preaching. That's hard living. That's hard to do. Just serve God. Don't matter how your family turns out. Don't matter how your church turns out. Don't matter what your Sunday school class does. It don't matter what, if anybody else likes it or lumps it or if anybody's following you or not, just serve God because He's worthy and let the judgment seat work everything out. That's easy to preach. But it's hard when you live in it. It's hard when you really, really... uh, just want to see things happen. Just see somebody get you. you want to see I wish they would just get right. Ah! I'm not having a break now, I promise. I'm just showing you what one would look like if I was having one. <laughs> I really am okay, but I might drink with some water. <laughs> Does anybody got a bowl of cereal? That would be good. <sighs> That's not what it's the maturity, isn't it? wheels <laughs> they collide let me just, I'll just show you just a couple of things just real quick. i know i've preached long enough but i probably just preach this first point and then mention the last two but notice what we learn we learn some things about god's plan and i want to let me just say something about god the way he teaches elijah god is such a he's such a gracious teacher isn't he he's such a he, he he's the patient parent that teaches his children. Uh, and, and he does that way with Elijah. He could have just come to Elijah and just and, and just yelled at him and rebuked him or whatever. But no, what does he do? He comes to Elijah with an object lesson. And that's what we find here. Object lessons. Usually when I do an object lesson, it's something small, you know, something I can hold. It's a, when God does object lessons, it's wind and earthquake and fire. These object lessons are absolutely epic. But I believe what we learn here, first of all, about God's plans, is first of all, I believe God is teaching Elijah about the superiority of his plans. The superiority of his plans. Simply put, God's plans are better than yours. They just are. God's plans are better than your plans. God's plans are better than my plans. And that's why we need to chill out. That's why we got to just... Submit and surrender and let and just follow God and let let God do what He wants and just follow Him. Why? Because His plans are better than our plans. And God uses these natural phenomena to to, to prove this. Do you see that? The the wind so strong that it rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. And then the earthquake. And then the fire. and, And these are great great natural things that are happening. And, and this is effortless for God. He could do these all day long. It, but it's absolutely amazing to us and it astounds us. But what in, what, what's interesting to me is this. Here's, here's what's interesting is God did these things. God did the wind and God did the earthquake and God did the fire just to show He's not in it. That's kind of weird to me, isn't it? I mean, yes, it is weird to me. That's kind of weird that God would just do something so big just to show I'm not in that. But that's the lesson. That's the lesson. God did something so epic, so so uh, uh, eye-popping, that the only thing He wanted to prove was that He was not in that. You see, because we tend to put God in, in, in and we think of God in the spectacular. We, we want God to be, if it's amazing, if it's over the top, if it's unexplainable, then God must be in it. But that's not always the case, is it? And we think that when God does something, it's got to be the biggest. It's got to be, and, and, but, but He's not in any of those things. In fact, what is He in? Verse number 12 said He's in what? He was in the what? The still, small voice. That's where God was. unexpected, but not undetected. You knew he was there. I don't know how Elijah knew God wasn't in something. Because obviously it's God doing it, right? It wasn't just a coincidence that all these things happened while Elijah was in, on horror there. That's, that, that's, not, that's not the point. God did it, but God wasn't in it. Hmm. I, now, I, don't, I, don't, I can't wrap my... I don't, I don't know what that means. God could do something, but he's not in that. But that's exactly what's going on here. How is he in the small voice? Somehow it means God's presence was in this voice. It was absent. His pres- even though God caused it, God's presence was not in the wind. God's presence was absent from the earthquake. God's presence was absent from the fire. But God was in that small voice. His word was there. It was His word. And this is teaching Elijah that God is not always in the big stuff. And in that was. Elijah was looking for, he was looking for big stuff. He wanted big revival. He wanted big conversions. He wanted big repentance. He wanted big restoration of worship and big. He was looking for the big nationwide revival, nationwide repentance, nationwide. And Elijah was looking for all of the big. And it's okay to want something big. There's nothing wrong with praying for big. But what if God wants to do something small? What if God wants to do something small? It's okay for praying for something big, but what if He wants to do something small? What if God doesn't want you to have big? What if God just wants you to have small? You see, Elijah had to learn this, that it's not not what God does, but it's where God is. That is the most important thing. It's not wind and earthquake and fire. It's it's where God is at. Where is His presence? Where is His Word? His presence must be the most important thing. We must be satisfied with the presence of God. You see, you can pray for the big. You can pray for the spectacular. You can pray for the amazing. But listen, if God's not in it, it's not going to satisfy you. You can pray for the big but if God's not in it then it's not going to be what it needs to be. The most important thing, the superior thing is the presence of God. It's where he's at, what he's in. That is the most. And you know why God's plans are better than your plans? Because God's in his plans. He may or may not be in yours. And when yours are different from his, then he's not in yours. No matter how spiritual they are, no matter how wonderful they are, no matter how practical and logical they are, no matter how reasonable they are, no matter what they are, God is in what he wants to be in. He's not in everything that you might want him to be in. So we don't need to try to get God to bless what we're doing. We need to try to get on board with what he's blessing. Get on board with where he's at. God's plans are better than your plans because it has Him in it. They're His plans and His Word and His presence are there. And what's amazing to me is all this is happening on Horeb. You could go back in your Bible, the book of Exodus, chapter 33, and you could read about another leader who stood on Mount Horeb. His name was Moses. And Moses went to Mount Horeb, almost the same situation Not exactly the same, but almost the same situation Elijah was in. Moses was disappointed in people. Do you know what happened in Exodus chapter 32? He's up there on the mountain getting the commandments of God, and he comes down, and guess what? Everybody's naked and partying and wickedness and idolatry and dancing. And everybody's down there breaking the very commandments that God was giving him up on the mountain. Even his brother. Even the priest. The one guy that's supposed to stick with you like a brother. You are my brother. You're supposed to be there. You're supposed to do right when everybody else does wrong. And Moses is disgusted in everybody. And he goes to Horeb, the mount of God. And he says, God... I got to see you. I need your presence. Because Moses told God, we ain't moving. We ain't going nowhere. We ain't leaving this place unless you go up with us. We don't want your plan. We want your presence. We want you to be with us. And you know what God did? God put him in the cleft of a rock. Or we could call it a what? A cave. That's what a cave is. A cave is a cleft in a rock. God put Moses in a cave and he passed by. That's exactly what's going on here with Elijah. Elijah's in a cave and the Bible says in verse number 11 that the Lord passed by. Isn't that amazing? Moses upon the mountain of Horeb, the mountain of God saw the glory of God. God passed by and promised His presence and the same thing happened with Elijah. He got to see the glory of God and hear it in the still small voice when God passed by and it was the presence of God and he realized. That's what he needed. And by the way, just a little footnote. I don't know what all this means, but it was Moses and Elijah on another mountain in the New Testament, and they got to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's got to be something to all that. I ain't got it all figured out just yet. Y'all work on it and come back with me, and I'll preach it somewhere else, all right. There's something about being on a mountain and the Lord passing by. And there's an emphasis on the presence of Of God, Moses said, we ain't going nowhere without your presence. And God tells Elijah, you don't need to go anywhere without my presence. That's the most important thing. And I'm going to tell you what, listen to me. You can do your own thing if you want. You can make your own plans and you can live your own life and have your own way and have your own will. But listen, you're forfeiting the presence of God. You'll have to do it on your own. Why are God's plans superior to yours? Why are they better than yours? Because when you go with God's plans, you get God's presence. And His presence, listen to me, young people. Listen to me, everybody. His presence is the most important thing in this entire world. If you go on your own, you're going to make a mess. He's not always in the big and the spectacular. and I'm going to make all this money and I'm going to have all this and I'm going to do all that. Listen, you might do all that, but he ain't going to be in it if that ain't his will. He might just be in something that's still. He might just be something that's small. He might just be something in something that's got his voice and his presence in. I'm going to tell you what. We need to get to that place where we'd rather, have, we'd rather have Him than we would have what He can do for us. Right. Elijah, it's not about what God can do in the nation of Israel. It's about having your presence. And God's presence is always superior to anything else. God's plans always include God's presence. And that's why His plans are better than our plans Miss Julie I want you to come to the piano I told you I was going to preach stuff. I'm going to give you those other two points but really that, that was, that's the bulk of it right there I want, I want her to sing that song again if she doesn't mind but not only the superiority of God's plans but let me tell you something else Elijah has to learn about God the scope of God's plans God's plans are not only better than ours but God's plans are bigger than ours they're bigger than ours. You see, Elijah was just thinking about Israel. But when we get to the end of the text there in verse uh, 15, 16, 17, we find out God's thinking about more than just Israel. He's thinking about a Gentile nation, Syria. He's thinking about the next king. after Elijah's thinking about Ahab and Jezebel. God's already thinking about who's going to be the king after Ahab. Uh, Elijah's think, he's leaving a servant. Elijah's done with ministry, and God's already thinking about... about about who's going to succeed him. See, Elijah's all caught up in his generation, and God said, I'm already preparing a prophet for the next generation. And for, You see, here's what I'm trying to say about God's plans. The reason we, we, our plans are not as good and the reason we mess up is because we can't take into consideration everything that God is doing. There's no way. God's plans are always bigger than what we could ever even realize. And while, And while Elijah's thinking about Ahab... God's already moving on to a Jehu. And, why, and while Elijah's thinking about his generation, God's already thinking about the next generation and anointing an Elijah. And while Elijah's thinking about Israel, God's thinking about Gentile nations. And you can read the next chapter. There's reasons for all that. And as it unfolds, it find out, we find out, you know what? God's plans are always right and they're always better. Your knowledge is limited. You make decisions based on this much information. God makes plans based on everything. He's omniscient. The scope of God's plans. And then I see something about the salvation of God's plans. It was actually God's plans that saved Elijah's life and saved his ministry. In verse number 19, he got up, he departed thence. He got up and he left. God's plans got him out of the cave that he was hiding in. And I want to tell you something about God's plans. They're the only ones that'll get... As long as you stay wrapped up in your plans and your things and what you want to do, listen, you're headed for the cave. All that You may poke your head out. You may peek out every now and then, but you're going to live in that cave of disappointment all the time. But if you realize... There's it, something about living for God's plans. It gives you something bigger than yourself. It gives you something better than yourself to live for, and it'll actually save your life. It will save your ministry. It will save your home. There is a saving. There is a delivering factor for that. You see, because God is going to have His way. God is going to do what He is going to do. And the question is, are you going to get on board with it or not? It's either get on the bus or get ran over by the bus. See, the bus is going. God's going to do what God's going to do. Are you going to get on the bus and go with God? And if you get on the bus, you'll enjoy the blessings of the bus and get on there. God's plans are always for our good. And submission to them will always be the most blessed peace that you'll ever ever experience in your life. No doubt about that. No doubt about that. So what do you do? When your will and God will, God's will, when it collides, what do you do? Well... The best thing to do is not to let it collide <laughs> let God have the right of way in your life. submit know that he knows best trust God and his plans they're always right they're always right and if you'll let just God be God and let him do what he wants to do listen you'll never you'll never struggle with that disappointment. You'll have disappointment, but not that soul-crushing disappointment because your hope's not in a plan coming to pass. Your hope is in a person who you love and who you follow and who you submit to, and that's the safest way. That's the best way. That's the most blessed way to live your life, no doubt about it. Let's stand together.